Welcome to the How Soccer Explains Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership principles through the lens of the beautiful game. Welcome back to How Soccer Explains Leadership. Thanks again for being a part of the conversation. Thank you for engaging all that we get to do here. I'm Phil Dark, by the way, if this is your first time listening. The host and Paul Jobson, my co-host and brother in arms. Paul, how you doing, man? Doing well, Phil. Things have been going well here in Waco and with SRUSA. I think we talked about it last time, starting up there. And what, I, what I'm realizing with that, Phil, is that I'm really enjoying rebuilding relationships. You know, yeah. when you're a coach and you have those day-to-day relationships and you're helping kids through you know, the ups and downs of, you know, daily activity when it comes to school and soccer and all that. So just reconnecting with current high school kids that are preparing to go to college and even some current college kids that are kind of struggling with the demands of college and just trying to be that kind of that ear for them to to, to listen to them and, and, and a voice to speak into them has been a lot of fun kind of getting back into that without the, uh, without the game planning and strategizing and the, the pressure to win is uh, a new light on life, but no, things are, things are good here, man. How about, how about for you and the dark family? What's going on? Well, I just love that you are getting back into that. I did see your post the other day for national daughter's day, since you have four sons and you posted yeah. a fuzzy picture of a team that was very nondescript, which was very appropriate. Cause that was really cool. And I, I, I do know your heart for that. So it's super cool. For a little bit there, there was going to be some rumors starting about a coming out of retirement to coach again. But then you threw that at the end about not having all the other stuff. So I think you 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 put those to put those to bed. I think we're that's good. a bit of a little tease, I guess. Maybe yeah, say, yeah, not intended. But you know, yeah, yeah, post a blurry yeah. picture of a bunch of girls talking about National Daughters Day, and then lead in with like how much I enjoy the relationships, yeah. and then bam, Boom. don't yeah. have to win games on the weekend. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Cut it off there. Cut it off. And especially I was watching a game yesterday and an 89th minute goal to lose one, nothing for the team that I was, you know, pulling for. So that those are always, you know, gut, gut wrenchers, but anyway, doing well in the dark house, you know, just sent my two daughters, uh, off to Hawaii for YWAM to start that off again for Malia and for Savannah to, to get going there. And, you know, my son's still, still kicking it around there at Biola. That's been fun to watch him. And, uh, so I'm feeling that pressure to win on the weekends, even though I'm not I have nothing to do with it. I feel like I do, you know, and as a parent, yep. you're always like, well, why did they do this? And, you know, there's all those things that, you know, I don't ever call the coach and ask him, but you know, it's, it's always there, but it's, it's, uh, it's just really good time right now. We're getting, getting ready. We get a couple weeks. We get to go visit them in Hawaii. Can't wait for that family trip. In the meantime, Justin went off my 12 year old and, and broke his elbow uh, playing soccer. He got, you know, as he says, the keeper had a late tackle and took him out. And I said, yeah, but that's happened how many times in your life? And it's just this fluky thing. Um, but it is what it is. He's out for three. And he's not going to get any sympathy from his goalkeeper dad either. Is it? 100%. Yeah. 100%. He went in there. That's his fault, man. You know, it was an indoor game and, um, but it was freaky. He put his hand down in a way that typically would not uh, typically break a wrist, not an elbow, but it did. It broke the elbow. Fortunately, no surgery. Fortunately, he's only in the cast for three weeks because to take that kid out of, uh, you know, being able to do anything <laughs> for longer than a day is, you know, is is married. But it was a total small gift that uh, that it's not a surgery, not a long term in the in that cast. So good stuff good. there. But today we have a new friend of mine and I'm excited to to get him on here today. We got Dan Russell. He's also 
You know, if you go back and listen to that Phil Smith interview, he knows Phil Smith, too, over there in the UK. It's not that everyone in the UK knows each other. It just so happens these guys do know each other. And, you know, seems to me like everybody knows everybody over there. I know that's true. It probably is true. It probably actually is the case. So but we got Dan Russell. Dan wears a few different hats we're going to get into. I'm going to let him tell us about those hats that he's wearing. You can also read the bio if you want to know beforehand and you're the suspense is killing you. But Dan, how are you doing, man? Hey, Phil. Hey, Paul. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Really, really excited to, uh, you know, uh, get this up and running. But um, yeah, it's Friday. It's the weekend. So I actually turned myself into dad's taxis for this weekend with with the kids. So yeah, uh, looking looking forward to getting my sons to football, watching a bit of football myself uh, and getting out there and doing a bit of scouting uh, as well at the same time. So all, all good here, Phil. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because now that I talked about sending my daughters off to Hawaii with my daughters going off to Hawaii went my Uber drivers and my taxi service. So I'm a little <laughs> getting back into that. So it's it's definitely not hey, something this, that's a this good could be part an episode. This could be an episode on dad's taxi cab confessions because I'm solo dadding this weekend too with my oh, yeah. four. So this 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 yeah. interview is going a whole new direction. Sorry, Dan. Wow. What we wow. talked about. This is Dad's taxi cab confessions for carrying the footballers. <laughs> yeah. All right. The, the script is out the window. Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally, totally. Totally. Well, our scripts are always out the window if you listen to any of the episodes. So there's not like there's such a thing, such a thing. But you know, the thing we do do is not scripted. But uh, you know, we we'd love to hear your story. Just you know, briefly share you know how you develop your passion for soccer, how you develop your passion for leadership, coaching. You talked about scouting, and really how you know what was that path to where you are today? What does that look like? Yeah. Um. So just a, a very very simple start in terms of granddad, dad played football at a decent level. Naturally, just kind of came to being out playing with friends from the from a very young age. And quickly developing, it wasn't just the, the the football soccer aspect. It was sort of any sport, really. Cricket had a quite a, a, a good decision later on in life to choose going, you know, into into a good level of cricket or a good level of football. But yeah, from 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 when I can remember, I've just been playing football. Uh, my dad's been the main driver behind that, taking me to games all up and down the country. To the point of being obviously in the academy system myself with with Burnley, and having a number of years with them, which was fantastic. But yeah, it just I think it was just in in where I'm from in in the UK, a small town uh, just outside of Burnley. You know, obviously it was just everybody was doing it outside on the streets, kicking a ball around, and you just got a natural, you know, sort of knack for just being a little bit better than anyone else. You know, it just kind of came natural to me in a sense, and. Yeah, it's it's probably just been ingrained into our family. My sons are exactly the same. Both love football. There's a massive diversity of actual cultures of football teams. So we've got Burnley, Liverpool, Newcastle. So there's kind of a bit of a diverse there with 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 the teams aspect because my mum's from Newcastle, my dad's from from Burnley, uh, and Liverpool was in the mix of the uncles and the grandparents of the sport in that team um, when they was doing really well back in back in the old days. Well, <laughs> so. Just, so yeah, it just, it was, it's hard to describe really. It just became natural to me that I had a ball at my feet all the time. And, and yeah, just the friends around me as well, all big into football. We would play it on, on the back streets and the car parks, on the fields, anywhere we could go, we'd get a football and just play football all the time. So yeah, it was just ingrained from a, from a family aspect. My, my sister was a fantastic sportswoman as well. She actually swam for 
district level as well. So just, we had an all-rounder of sort of sportsmen and women in the family. Yeah, you know, and then so from there, you talked about playing the academy. Where'd that take you? And then how'd you end up scouting? How'd you end up now working with UA92? And tell us a little bit. We'll, we'll get into that later on today, but just kind of share a little bit about what that's about. How'd you, how'd you go from playing all the time to now helping players find teams and uh, really just helping young people? You also have a scouting app you're working on. What, what is that? Well, how'd you get all, the, to all that stuff? Yeah, good question. I, I think sort of being in the academy setup for quite a, quite a while, it got me to a point where unfortunately I had to make, well, unfortunately a decision was brought upon me at the age of 19. I broke my leg twice in the same year. Uh, which, which ultimately sort of kind of took me away from that, that sort of standard, that level of football. You know, all I sort of ever knew growing up was football. You know, wasn't really, you know, for the academic side of, of life. You know, I, I had sort of ADHD. I was dyslexic. So the neurodiverse aspect of my life made a massive impact of my decision making. And I just don't want to be a footballer. There was no plan B. And... Unfortunately, I had to make a plan B quickly at the age of 19. And at that point, breaking like twice in the same year and my actual, my father passing away at the same time. I think a lot of decisions, a lot of, you know, what are you going to do now? You know, it just became apparent that I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. You know, my mum, God bless her. She, she installed hard working and, and be the best you can be with whatever life throws at you. You know, God's got a sort of, a pathway for us all, so to say. And I sort of kind of made the decision to go and play non-league and play non-league at a decent level for a few years uh, while sort of kind of, you know, bobbing in and out of different jobs, not really finding something that was right for me. But any job I actually went into, you know, I wanted to be the best. I wanted to, you know, make sure I was working my way up the, the food chain in, in that position because, you know, I want to, I guess it's a competitive edge you have as a, as a, as a sportsman. But I was quite lucky then, kind of about five years later, to get scouted to go and play professional football in, in Australian State Division 2 with Geelong Rangers. Rangers were fantastic, spent a few years there, you know, played some really, you know, some really fant some fantastic places across Melbourne in sort of kind of south of, of uh, Australia. But I was a young dad, my, my, my sons were already born, they, wasn't, they didn't come with me, I had to make decisions to go there on my own just because of the accommodations and the actual contract that was in place. It wasn't sort of covering the, with the, the family aspect. It was just me. And two years into that, I decided to come back. And I thought, you know, I'm probably not going to be playing the way I want to be. So what can I do? And whilst I was there, I got a part-time job coaching with Geelong Grammar School, really prestige grammar school over in, in Australia. Prince Charles or King Charles now went to its sister campus. So it was what I like to call Hogwarts on steroids, <laughs> to be fair, it was, it was, it was a great campus. You know, we they had some, you know, some fantastic overround, overarching sort of athletes in terms of rugby. They called it footy. So the Aussie rules, footy, soccer, rowing, archery, it was all there, swimming, diving, fantastic facilities. And I learned a lot from a lot of people over there. And I found that sort of, that passion for coaching and teaching. And when I came back, to the UK, I was like, well, okay, I've really, I like the taste of that. You know, I've got my qualifications uh, behind me in terms of my level one, level two, just at that sort of UFC license and thought, well, what can I do now? How can I pass on my experiences, my lessons learned from the last sort of five, six years? And I thought, right, okay, 
coaching, maybe doing some sports coaching. So I ended up going into a coaching role for a couple of years with, with a company called Fundamental Coaching. The owner uh, was a friend of mine and it really opened my eyes to the world of sort of working with um, young pupils from sort of primary school to, to secondary school. Uh, it was fantastic. Absolutely loved it. But got to a point where I was like, okay, so I really love the coaching aspect, but me teaching kids how to dance in, in, in the dance aspect just wasn't for me. I just don't, I, I guess my dad, my dad moves, my robotic moves just wasn't right. And I wanted to really go and push myself to, you know, coach specifically athletes in the world of soccer, in the world of football, because that's where my passion lied. And I got to a point where my sons were growing up and I was like having to have to make a decision whether I'm going to go and create this dream job within an academy, which I had a couple of jobs offered to me at the time, uh, like Morecambe Football Club was one of them, or go back to Burnley and do some uh, stuff around with their development centre. And I also had a son who was also playing at a very good level of football. And it was a big decision whether to sort of kind of get the dream job or, you know, get a job that pays well and can I have that family time? And I decided to go with the family time. That's, that's really important to me. And to, be, to sort of kind of get to where we are right now, Phil, I had to go through a lot of changes within the world of well, my career, basically. I had to take a whole entire new change on career. I had a career change, basically went into IT recruitment. And it def definitely was like the Wolf of Wall Street scenario. I, I kid you not, the nickname for us was the Wolfpack. So it was, it was a case of learning a new trade in sort of IT recruitment and, and, and taking that forward. And then this actually really leads onto the leadership aspect of how I found myself leaning towards team leader roles, managers roles, and helping people move in the right direction. So I took all that sort of, that wealth of knowledge of coaching and put it into, into recruitment. You know, my, my dad, my dad told me a long time ago, he said, you know, go and look at the best coaches, go and steal their best ideas and use them for yourself. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that because it's best practice. You know, how can you transfer that into everything that you're doing in, 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 your days of, you know, your day-to-day -day activity. So when I went into this IT recruitment role, I remember asking the director, who are the best, who are the two best consultants in the team? And it was two, two ladies. And I was like, right, can I go sit next to them? And I literally just learned everything, shadowed them, listened to their calls, went on their meetings. I learned so much valuable things from these two consultants because they'd done it for so long. These, these were industry experts. So why not go and learn from them? And probably spent a good part of 10 years, uh, well, so between eight, eight and nine years within IT recruitment. And then through that period, you sort of kind of, COVID was on its way. And when, when COVID hit, I got put on furlough. I'd sort of kind of moved a little bit into the world of apprenticeships and digital boot camps. And whilst I was on fur furlough, I was like, what can I do? What can I do to now give back even you know, more insight and experience in terms of what do I do? So I decided to do a couple of scouting courses, talent ID courses in match analysis, player analysis, opponent analysis with the, the PFSA. Lo and behold, got a gig at, at Burnley Football Club as a, as a scout, which was fantastic. Absolutely loved it. I spent two and a half years with them, coaching in their development centre, out every weekend, finding the next Jay Rodriguez. You probably don't know who he is. He's a, he's a, he's a guy that, I play football with his brother, kind of know him from the area that we grew up around and he still plays for Burnley right now. He's one of the strikers at Burnley and, you know, we wanted to uh, go out and find, you know, local talent for, for Burnley FC. And yeah, it got to the point where two and a half years down the line, 
I recently decided, I think, you know, it's time for a change. That change kind of came in two parts, really. One, in terms of a job, uh, full-time job, going to UA92, working for uh, the class of 92. So Man United's class of 92, uh, Gary Neville, Phil Neville, Nicky Butt, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, just minus David Beckham, basically. And, you know, at the same time, transitioning and going over to, to Liverpool FC as well as one of their scouts. And through all that, played non-league football for a number of years with a couple of different teams up in the northwest of England. And it also helped my sons develop on their pathway in terms of going to primary school, high school and football uh, as well. Um, and then there's all the Darius stuff, which I'll probably tell you a little bit later on. But that is me here, kind of a nutshell, to be fair, Phil and Paul. Yeah. Now that's great. And that's so... It, I mean, it, it reminds me of when my kids ask me what I do, right? There's so many moving parts and it's so cool. I mean, you're almost like a double agent working for the class of 92 and a scout for Liverpool. Like that, that I'm surprised is allowed. Uh, or do they not know? Are we outing you between, right now? Yeah, between, between like, us yeah. three, they actually still don't know I'm scouting for Liverpool. Yeah, so. okay. All right. Well, hopefully they don't listen to this. You know, I, I'll, uh, you know, keep... I. I this will probably be the one episode those guys don't listen to. You know, I'm sure they're listening to <laughs> yeah. every other episode of this podcast. So, and then the other thing was that you kind of, you scared the non-league, one of the non-league teams. In fact, we talked about Phil Smith is Osset United. They tried to, he tried to get you there. Yeah. <laughs> and you turned him down. I hear. Yeah. So, he, yeah. Funny story, Phil. So I was <laughs> sort of kind of in that recruitment stage and I sort of kind of came across a company that he was like working with called Rizzle and they did a lot around virtual reality on helping find players and train players and scout players. So played people in disprivileged sort of countries, they would send off this sort of piece of kit. They would do the analysis and basically the assessment through this virtual reality gear and basically would get a score and then it can go to scouts in, in in that way and i was just so really blown away by this technology we're talking a few years ago now i was thinking wow this is amazing and i kept reading this article and this, this guy's name phil smith does this phil smith is a part of this and i'm thinking who is this phil smith? i need to i need to meet him i need to know who he is <laughs> so i did this big piece i did this big email in terms of how i can actually put them in touch with the other clubs you know i know this person and that person you know and then it, eventually phil reached out to me and was like Phil and actually his boss was like, Dan, this is the, one of the best, most insightful emails we've ever had from a recruitment agency. You know, it's, I mean, let's let's meet up. I was like, amazing, let's do it. And yeah, love and behold, sort of had a, conversa a couple of conversations with Phil. And obviously, you, you, you know what Phil Smith's like. He's a very <laughs> infectious person. He's very bubbly type of guy. And we just clicked straight away. And then as we got talking, he was like, so what are you doing at the weekend? Oh, I've got, I've got a game from a non-league side. I'm playing for West Didsbury and Charlton, which are in Manchester. And he was like, okay, tell me more. So he's telling me a bit about, so he started talking about the football aspect and I played, I played at a decent level and this, well, you know, I've actually just uh, started running this, uh, this team. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of him before. And I'm like, I'll sit here. And he's like, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah I know who they are. They're always sort of kind of Yorkshire, sort of uh -huh. Leeds way. And he's like, well, you know, they train on these days. Do you think you could make it? And it was like almost like, he almost <laughs> made the decision that I was going on tra the training. I was like, I was like, honestly, Phil, I I'd love to, but I'm under contract. <laughs> I, you know, I can't. I'm, I'm, I'm actually contracted at West Eastbury in Shorten. And actually, it was like two hours drive away from where I was. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, you've been Australia unless, already. You know, I mean, you know, you don't want to go too far. You don't want to travel anymore. No, no. I mean, one of the one of the games in Australia was like a five hour drive, and it was just like oh. dreaded that. 
But um, but yeah, Phil, Phil's Phil's a great guy. Yes, yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny how you meet people and how they sort of link in with each other. But yeah, it's fun. It's fun, and that that really goes to real quick. I want you to just you know give maybe like a one minute or two minute, just the power of networking. You know, you talked yeah, earlier, yeah. just a great lesson earlier that you talked about with like sitting in with those meetings, but obviously networking has been a big part of where you got today, but can you just give a quick, you know, one to two minute, just what is the power of networking for people out there so they can, people that don't necessarily do it naturally? Yeah, this is probably the, the strong, my, my strongest part of who I am, my, my core strength. Um, you know, like I said before, I, I left school with no GCSEs. I had to do a lot, a lot of like sort of late night education later on in life. But the one thing that always came natural was, you know, I can speak to anybody. Even my girlfriend says I need to stop talking to random strangers in the street and things like that. But <laughs> well, you never know. You never know who this person is. You never know who's right. me. And one thing that I always learned from, especially from the recruitment aspect of things, went to networking events and went to any events was just, and this comes from actually from my dad, to be fair, just the power of being polite, having good manners. Just putting that hand out and saying, hi, my name's Dan. You know, what do you do? You know, being interested in them. I was always told, do this sort of 80-20 approach with people. 80% they're talking, 20% you're talking. You know, you, you're listening for, for a big amount of time and they appreciate that you're listening. And I would honestly say if I, if I didn't go to these networking events, if I didn't actually, you know, sometimes break a bit of my comfort zone of just I'm just going to put myself out there. I'm going to go into this circle of people talking. I'm just going to introduce myself and see who, you know, wants to know a little bit about myself. And I generally believe if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have played at a decent level of football in terms of non-league and meeting the right people and meeting new friends. And then, you know, the, the sort of life cycle of someone goes to another club, I can, I can trust Dan. I can, you know, I know his ability on the pitch. Let's bring him in and we'll go that way in terms of work. The right person at the right time was there. You know, it was my new boss. I had a guy called Andy Lord. Went to a networking event, sh shook hands with him, asked him a little bit about his business. He loved the fact that I was really engaged with him in the sort of the Q&A panel. Two years later down the line, I tell his story to a lot of people, two years down later down the line, he's, he's actually offered me a job. And I'm going into a job in apprenticeships. And, you know, I've gone from being a director to a head of employability. And I'm teaching people how to, have these great employability skills. And that just came, and that job just came from me going to a networking event, looking mm. online, just connecting with people on LinkedIn, on, on Instagram or whatever it may be. And just ask, asking a little bit about them and listening to them and what they've got to say and looking at that collaboration. And again, you know, where I am right now with UNI2, the people that I met around me, weirdly, a friend of mine uh, where I used to work was, was dating a girl. This girl's sister is now my boss. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's crazy. It's, and just the friendships we've made. And it was just a case of this network that I've built around me are, you know, are people that I can trust and I can rely on. But they've, they've pointed me in the right direction. The, the information, the, the, guy, the, the, the advice, the guidance that these people are giving me are fantastic. So my, my advice to anyone is have a quick look what's on, on some events, just in that, maybe that, that area that you're interested in. It could be sport, it could be game, it could be IT, it could be just generally anything and see what, and see what the people are there. And, you know, and don't be, don't be frightened to just basically introduce yourself. And the one thing you, you just need to do is just be polite, have good manners, mm -hmm. just shake their hand and just actively listen. 
But for me, networking has got me where I am today. If, if I didn't, you know, it's one thing I always say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I just leveraged off people, just being generally, just being polite. Hi, you haven't really spoken before or, you know, I've seen you at this event. I'd love to know more a little bit about you. Let's, let's have a chat. And, you know, effectively, me and you, Phil, kind of very similar yep. like that, you know. Right. I came across the podcast. I came across you speaking to Phil Smith. And I wanted to know you. You look like a great guy. You look like a really nice person. I want to know more about you because it might be somewhere down the line that we're doing something amazing together and we, and we posit- positively create a, a, an environment for somebody else that can thrive and go, and go the distance. And that's, that's generally where I feel like networking should be. You're scratching somebody's back to scratch your back, but also ult- ultimately create a really positive environment at the same time. Right. That's right. Yeah, like that. I've heard it said too. Like it's not, it's not, uh, it's not what you know. It's who you know. But I've also heard it's also who knows you, right? It's not what you know, but it's who knows you. You know, uh, to take that a little bit further. Then I want to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about scouting. I, I think, I think people who 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 don't scout, who, who maybe don't even coach. I think scouting is a whole nother world. That I think people have misconceptions about. I don't think people fully understand scouting and I don't think it even matters what sport it is. I mean, I know guys that have been <laughs> baseball scouts and, you know, I just think it's a, it's a different world that people don't, don't really understand what that looks like. I, I'd like for you to maybe take us through a little bit about a couple of things. You know, what do you look for when you're scouting? Okay. That's one thing I want you to talk about. It, how is that different from when you're evaluating players, right? When you're a coach, right? So there's there's scouting. Like if I'm going out as a, as a university coach and I'm evaluating a player to come play for me, it's a little bit different when I'm going out to scout for, for, you know, maybe what, what you're doing for at a professional level, even at the different ages of scouting and, and how much do you need to see of a player? Just kind of take us through that process of what scouting is and what are the, some of the things that uh, are misconceptions that people probably don't really even understand about the full details of what it means to really be a scout and what it takes. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know it's it's funny. It's funny because there's so there's so there's fine margins between the scouting and the coaching aspect. But then on certain areas, but then then there is there is the big gap in terms of you're as a scout, you are looking for the the characteristics, not necessarily the, the technique, not necessarily the 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 uh, physical attributes it's, it's almost the the ability to what are they like as a, as a person in the team what what are you what are, i mean it would be great if you could actually see the kid from when they you know they, you have a snapshot of what their what their day has been like where have they come from you know have they, have they had a great day at school have they you know and, and no disrespect to any families but what what is their family situation the house mm-hmm. situation what, where do they come from where do they live because i look back at myself you know I'm actually at my parents now. I'm actually at Mum's house now in in uh, in Briarfield, which is just outside of Burnley, and it's still it's still a very council deprived area. And I I always remembered it as in I had a really good upbringing, really good upbringing. I can't actually thank my mum and dad for that. But two three houses around the corner, I don't know where. You know, the kids were having a serious sort of like kind of. Um, drama incidents that really affects them going onto the playing field and I, I would love to see a little bit about that when that kid turns up on the football pitch because you've got to see you've got to understand that has this kid had a bad day at school 
has just had an amazing day at school. And, and that really does affect them when they are playing football. But it's not just obviously the four corners of, of, of the football aspect of what you're looking for with the scouting aspect. And you want to look at how they are adapting to new team team players you know there might be a couple of new players that turned up who are actually fighting for their position today so how do they react to that how do they react to maybe going one nil down in a game how do they react to someone giving them a little bit of abuse from the you know, from their own teammates or even the even the coach as well you know you know doesn't really have like a level one badge and just is there to, as a volunteer and you know god bless mm. grassroots scouts are the unsung heroes of, of football so it, there's a lot to think about but for me i call i, I call it the, i call it the spark if anyone asks me uh, in terms of what you look for in a player, it's called the spark. That's why I, I reference it. And the spark isn't, you know, going past three players and, and smashing a ball into in the top corner. It's leadership. It's communication on the pitch. It's 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 the decision making. It's understanding the roles and responsibilities when they get to maybe a little bit older when offside comes into play, uh, or they actually go to eleven aside. When when they're really young, is it? How much do they enjoy being on the pitch? You know, how much do they enjoy being spoken to by a coach by saying, right, today, guys, we're going to try and do this, we're going to try and do that. Yes, there's, there's ability of turn of pace, ability to have that, that ability to manipulate the ball and go past players, definitely. There's, there's all of that as well. But I think how you can sort of confuse the scouting and the coach element is the tactical information of what a coach would be bringing to the day for that, that kid to take that in, onto the pitch and implement it the way that you want it to, to go. And as a scout, you don't hear that from the coach. You don't hear that in terms of the players. You've got to go off in terms of what you're hearing around you and the, and the environment that they're in. And you're, you're not looking for the all-rounded the all well player. You'll never, ever get that. You can look at Ronaldo, you can look at Messi. You might say they're well-rounded, but they're still two different athletes. So, so you'll never get that. And it is looking for the ability to watch them in that split second and have an insight, a gut feeling, and the potential to think, you know what, I understand where Liverpool's academy players are at. I understand, so you're looking at your benchmarks. So I understand where the, the academy players are at. I understand where the development centre players are at. And now we have a good feeling of where the player's at. Can they go the distance? Can they go the mile? Uh, and definitely from a scouting point of view, you know, what we need to try and look for is that person, have they got the mental resilience to have knockbacks but carry on fighting and go through? Um, go go the, the full distance. From a coaching aspect, it's, it's a difficult one really because if you're looking at a very younger age and it's there for enjoyment, you don't want to, you don't want to basically plow them with information. You don't want to sort of kind of, you, you're almost teaching them the fundamentals of the game and, and you want to coach them in a way that they, they get a lot out of that because, you know, they might just be doing it fun. They might not want to really go the distance. They might not really want to do it. And, and, and the coach aspect of things is you're bringing a structured element to a fun environment, whereas a scout, you know, you're looking for the, the resilience, the mindset, the, the, the person that can go all the way. And you know they're very two within themselves. Yeah, I think I, that's that's a great great stuff in there. A, a couple of things I want to pull out of there, so that people don't miss, is that you know I don't want to say anybody, but most people can show up to a field and recognize who the best players are, right? In air quotes, you know who's the most technical, who's talented, who doesn't lose the ball off their foot, who who has a great strike, like. But kind of what you're talking about is okay. How do you, how do you then separate those players? 
okay, who's, who's the kid that goes to, to find the coach at the other field and grabs the bag of balls to bring it because they re recognize, hey, we need balls to warm up. Coach isn't here yet. I'm going to take leadership. I'm going to get the team kind of ready while coach is coming from another pitch. You know, who, who are the kids that are, you know, building up their teammates? How well do they talk to their coach? Like if they take a, a tongue from, from the coach, how do they respond? You know, those sorts of things play into the scouting aspect of, you know, we, you, we used to watch kids, you know, how they interacted with their parents as they're walking up to a, to a, to a pitch. Like, man, that kid's a, that kid's a brat. Like they're going to talk to their parents like that, you know? You yeah. Know, you got to be careful with that. But it's the personality, <laughs> you know, plays big into, into uh, scouting, right? So from a, from a coach's standpoint, you know, you're recognizing talent and, and you're, you know, you got to know who to put on the, on the field at a time and you have the training environment, but, but a yeah. scout really, if they're the ones recommending players, you know, it's kind of on you because you brought this player like, Hey, yeah, they're really talented, but they can't hang in this level because they can't, they can't be coached, right? They can't be coached. They can't handle the, the yeah. stress of the environment, that sort of thing. Yeah, that that's. I mean, yeah, the, that's the the social aspect, the 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 leadership aspects. You know, it's it's really important because it is it, it does effectively go down to, you know, who has that sponge of a mindset to take it, the information in and, and really apply that on the pitch at a very a very young you know very young age. And yeah, you, you, yeah, you you can see. I know. I, I mean, I've I've seen it personally with 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 teams where typically the, the coach's son. Is the one who reacts the worst because he because unfortunately he feels he feels the amount of pressure because it's my dad as the coach and typically nine times out of ten they are you know they are very good players but yet their their attitude towards the coach their dad or the players you know it, it, it's an expectation of them to you know be the role model player and sometimes that's not right to give that to that child it's just it's it's unfair but yeah. It's like I said before, to, if you could have the insight to how their day's been in and going would be fantastic. And then, you know, you, you, you'll get the players who, I think it's quite, it's quite apparent now with, with academy football and maybe a little bit lower than that. There's a lot of coaches that have like a um, military drill operational sort of sense to their, to their, uh, to their team. You know, I need help with the balls, the water bottles, you know, can someone go get me the cones and, you know, you're there to have a good time, but there's there's that mutual respect, which is 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 fantastic, and it, and that's how it should be done, and it should be done with the referees as well. You know, football's awful for that. You know, rugby's fantastic, but football's awful for it. I'm awful for it. I've been that guy, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's 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 fine margins, but there's a there's a big gap between you're not there to coach and, and influence the the person. Because you know when I go scouting, I actually don't go. I don't go in my my Burnley or my Liverpool gear, and I, I never do that purposely because I don't want a kid to look at me and go, "Oh wow, he's wearing a Liverpool badge on his on his top." You know, he, he's got the full big coat. He's got the lanyard on. Oh, right, I'm going to change my game now from being a team player to an individual show off that will never pass the ball. And you know, as coaches, you're actually there to remind the, the players that. You know, we've got a job to do today. As much as having fun, we've got a job to do today. We, we want to try and win. And, 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 and yeah, I mean, win is that everything. But as you get older, it becomes more apparent that kids will just love to win and, be, and have that competitive edge. But as a scout, you're not there to coach them. You're not there to give them advice. You're, you're there to monitor them. And 
you, you touch on in terms of how we do sort of look at that progression on players sometimes. You know, I might see the spark and think, actually, who's the team that they're playing? What division are they from? You know, where are they in the league? And I might have to come back and watch them because they're playing the bottom of the league when they're sort of mid-table. Let's have, let's have another watch of this player when they are playing mm-hmm. maybe a top two team and seeing how they react to that as well. So there's, there's so many different aspects to making sure that is this player right for the academy? Got to go on an eight-week trial in a YD8? Or is it a case of we put them in the development center and we, and we monitor them and we train them in the culture and the ways of, of the club? Or is it a case of we put, we put just kind of a, an amber light on them and we put it on a bit of a slow burner? We'll come watch these guys in, in another week or two and see how they get on in different scenarios. Yeah. I like you shedding light on that because I think a lot of people think of scouts and they think, okay, they're the people that show up in the field, they take a couple notes, they pass it on to a coach, they decide if they want to play <laughs> or not, and then and then the scout moves on to another field, right? It's a, that's all it is. So I appreciate you shedding some light uh, on that because it is a it, it's it's not a it's not a throw off for sure. It's a, it's definitely an important piece to to the game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's there's a whole there's a whole process and procedure behind it. To be fair, I mean it's it's great that scouts. Or out and about. I think there was a there's a massive change of shift probably about twenty, maybe twenty years ago, where there wasn't enough scouts in local areas. And what you started finding was a lot of teams back in the day was looking at international players coming up coming abroad. You know, obviously Brexit uh, has caused a massive issue with sort of looking at international talent. So I mean, obviously the younger you go, you're looking for your local uh, talent because actually Local talent is the only talent you can actually find. It's actually in the rules that they have to be within uh, one hour or one hour, 30 minutes within the, the training facilities. So it's not a burden on the parents in terms of fuel costs as well, and things like that as well. Yeah, you know, there's so much to scouting, right? And we've talked about that quite a bit here. There's also this app that you got. And I just want to really quickly describe, and I, I keep... I keep trying to figure out how to pronounce it. And I know you struggle. It's dare to rise. I know that's what it's shortened from. So I know that part, but it's like Darius. Darius. That's Darius. Darius. There we go. There we go. Darius. Can you just quickly describe the app? We don't, you know, we don't have a ton of time to get into all the stuff that I know we'd want to talk about it, but share just quickly what the app is. And then how the, how the listeners, you know, whether it's parents, coaches, you know, scouts themselves might want to be using it. Yeah, definitely. Darius is a scouting platform. Basically, players are able to showcase their, their talent on the app. And the owner, Jonas Seller, is an ex-professional goalkeeper that played in the Bundesliga. And he, he, he wanted to create a community. Kind of, the app's kind of like an Instagram feel to it. But the community isn't just worldwide. It's actually it's specifically worldwide, but specifically uh, in the industry of, of soccer. So the people in the community are officials from scouts, managers, coaches, sporting directors, agents from all different levels of, of, of soccer, from uh, the Bundesliga to the A-League worldwide. And he had this vision where he wanted to look at the power of networking. Again, networking, how, how powerful is, is networking with the right people and put you in the limelight and give you that chance to be scouted from, from Brazil all the way into Germany or from Africa into the UK. It doesn't matter where you are. We wanted to, we wanted to create in that way, give you them chances. And we've got some great testimonials. A, a kid from Holland, Jay Lucas, just signed a five-year deal with Lecce in Italy. Uh, who are in Serie A. 
you know, there's a kid from Australia, goalkeeper Nicholas, he signed for German level division three team. And it was just, it was such a, a great concept that I was just wanted to get involved with. You know, the, the owners actually supported my son and wanted to obviously give him a trial, but Brexit and the visa situation came into play. But, you know, we've been contacted by many scouts on there who were interested in, in, in my son. And we've, since I've come on board, I, I wanted this to go, I wanted this to go bigger. I wanted to go better. I wanted to go and do something that could actually change a lot of people's lives. And, you know, Darius is, it's, it's not anything new that is out there. I'm going to be completely honest and transparent. There are other apps out there, scouting apps out there, but we want to give it a real authentic, genuine look to, to, to the world of helping players move in the right direction. And the part of that was, well, what can we do to help all types of players? So we came up with the concept of the Darius EPA, and that is the, the EPA stands for Elite Player Aftercare. So it's built on four pillars in terms of the clubs being compliant with the, with the, the league and, and rule regulations, mental health and well-being for players, parents, families, and actually club staff as well. Third pillar, pillar being sort of really looking after that aftercare. If all you've ever known is elite football and all of a sudden then you come out of that, what do you do? You know, I'm taking my 19-year-old self when my, my father passed away. What, what, what do I do from next? So we... We basically manage exit trials. We put them in talent ID days. We, you know, we put them in touch with uh, FIFA agents that we know are trustworthy and represented in, in the right possible way. We put them in the limelight and network them with scouts. Um, you know, we're given the best chance of not dropping off the football life cycle too early. Uh, and then the last one is all about sort of uh, administrational burdens towards the club. You know, a lot of coaches, a lot of clubs we spoke to have said, it's 75% admin, 25% coaching and doing the actual yeah. practical stuff. Um, so we wanted to try and take away a bit of that manual errors and bring a sort of an automated streamlined process to the clubs. And that's, that's where we feel we want to take the app. We want to go bigger. We want to go better. You know, we had a fantastic meeting with, with, uh, with a championship uh, side. I can't mention who it is just now. And, um, you know, we wanted to pioneer with this, with this championship uh, football club, former, you know, former Premier League club as well. Um, and we want them to be the pioneers of, of, of this and really work together in an industry-recognised programme that is helping players through their life cycle of, of being a professional football footballer and then looking at pathways in education, um, looking at, you know, role, you know, jobs and roles within, within football as well and giving them you know, ne well, never having to have the player sit there and go, what do I do now? Well, tell you what, come and speak to Darius. We'll give you all the information and advice and guidance you'd need to move to the next step. It's free to download on iOS and Android. You know, we believe it's, it should be accessible to everybody. And, you know, there's other aspects to what we do with, with Darius. But in a nutshell, yeah, a showcase talent, sort of talent performance uh, app. Yeah, and we'll we'll have that link in the in the show notes. And so very, very excited for for what that is, especially the elite player aftercare part. I know we had Jonathan Van Horn on earlier, well, actually last season. And, you know, he talked about a lot about that that elite player aftercare as well. Didn't call it that exactly, but he has a you know talking to the the players and it's a huge, huge part of it. So so yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it's a big, big piece for for all of us in the in the game, whether they're players or coaches or or whatever. It's 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 nice to not have to navigate it on your own. And through you know, Dan, kind of through your playing career, let's go. Let's get into you a little bit uh, as well. Tell us from your playing career, what was kind of a defining moment within the game of football, and how did it impact you and develop who you are now in the career that you have? Like, what was that defining moment within the game of football for you? Yeah, really, really good question, Paul. I think, I think was it. I think it was probably later on in life. You know, when I was young, I was a winger, silky, quick. You know, I was silky. That's a word we don't use enough here in the states. I, I sorry, but we got to use that. We got to use that more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, Dan. I could I couldn't let that go. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the silky skills that they used to call it. Um, that was, you know, I was I was obsessed with Ronaldinho at Barcelona when I was mm. a kid. I actually used to wear a Barcelona top underneath my kit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I I always played off the left. I was right footed, but everyone actually thought I was left footed because I could use both. To be fair, but I just love cutting inside and having shots. And natu- naturally, I was I was just you know, I was fitter than anybody else. My, my dad was a defender and he said, if I had the skills that you have, I would have made it. <laughs> That's what he always used to say. <laughs> but he was, he was in the army. He was mad into his fitness and, and he, he made me, he made me go running so much. I hate, I still to this day, I hate going running. But I would, you know, we, we had a manager when I played non-league a little bit later on in life and the guy was in the military and he actually knew my dad, funny enough, and he was so big on fitness and he, we, we, he used to call it the 12-minute run. And you would sprint for 12 minutes. And I kid you not, I, I was, I became that fit. I, I could last the distance. I was lapping everybody. But the defining moment for me is when my legs actually went, you know, I wasn't that quick anymore. And I started drifting in field a little bit. I started being a front player as a winger, as like an attacking midfielder. And I ended up sort of just generally sort of drifting back to the point where I was like a central midfielder. And I think one, I signed for a club called Everton LR. Um, probably about four years ago, maybe five years ago now. And I just became very vocal on the pitch all of a sudden. I was quite a vocal guy, but I ended up just having this mass understanding of every position on the pitch. And that was a contribution of obviously playing at different levels, speaking to different people, going through coaching, going through the scouting aspects, listening to people from all walks of life, and then watch and just I'm just a football fan. I watch football. It doesn't matter who it is. I will watch whatever league, whoever, whoever's playing. It doesn't matter if it's male or female. I'll watch it. And I just had this massive over sense of I could, I could actually play in every position because I knew the roles and the responsibilities of that position. And it was when a, a manager of mine called Mark Robinson, probably you know one of the best managers I had, this guy was like, he was like a no frills Pep Guardiola. That's what I would say. He had the he had the know-how and the tactical know-how how to get the best out of players, but he also had that man management where he would put your arm around you. And he he would say he remember one season came up to me and said, Dan, um, I'm gonna make you captain next year. And we're coming to the end of the season. And I was like, Wow, okay. And it was just a sense of responsibility and leadership at that point where I think from the jobs I was in. You had to be resilient. You, recruitment is cutthroat. You had to be resilient, regardless of who you were, what type of person you were. If you were an introvert, out, extrovert, you had to be resilient. You, you're on a roller coaster. Your ups and downs in terms of your sales, it was ridiculous. And you had people who were very old school, chipping away at you every single day. You had to be mentally resilient. And I think 
because I came from a very high level of football, the confidence and the resilience and the, the mentality I had massively helped me. And I always kind of went into sort of like team leader roles, managers role, because I loved the coaching aspect to it. And I always, always took from the, you know, from the bad managers I had, the lessons learned of how not to be a manager. And I was just, I, I implemented that. And then it's the fine moment as, as I, be, I got this captain say, and I just had this sense of, I have to look after the team. I will run for a brick wall. You know, I will, you know, if someone's tackled somebody hard, I'm going on that player, I'm going hard on that player just to know that they can't do that to my teammates. But then all of a sudden it was like, I had this like defining moment where I just remember just people just naturally respected me because I didn't all the promise and under deliver. I didn't promise something I couldn't actually, you know, physically uh, deliver on. And I, I was always there for people. I always respected people and listened to people. And it was a case of, best practices from other people, I put that into my day-to-day -day life. And it's the same with football. I, I wanted to let my feet do the talking, but I want to be a leader on the pitch. I wasn't, you know, telling people what to do. I'd go and do it and then, you know, bring the team with me to go and do it. If we're chasing down a ball in the 90, the 89th minute and we're winning 1-0, you know, I need the striker to go, the winger to go, the centre midfielder to go. We went as a team. And it was the same in, in, same in so when I was in the head of employability for uh, one of my old companies. You know, we, we tackled issues and fires together. It was, I remember going into this one business and be like, right, you sit here because this team is yours. Then that team, you know, they're the teaching team in apprenticeships. You don't really speak to them. This team, we don't even know who them teams are, but we don't speak to them either. And I was like, there was like the, 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 like the divide of the teams. I was just like, why, why, why is that? And then I got into like the sort of under the bonnet of the, of the business a little bit. I was like, well, not, they're not speaking to them. They're not speaking to them. So the, the, the lack of efficiency was just wasn't there. So what I always did in any, in terms of football, business, leadership is I brought everybody together. The more, the more people in terms of speak to each other to try and get the result, the solution quicker. And with quality was actually making sure everybody knew who I were and I knew their roles and responsibilities. I helped them move and guide them in the right direction. And I always thought that was really important. Played at a decent level, young, young, younger age, to be fair, Paul. I think I was quite naive. I thought I was going to make it as a footballer. I, I think one thing I've, I've learned massively is you always need a plan B, whatever that looks like. You, you, you know, I think you should find something that you're good at and definitely, you know, go the full distance with it and put all your heart and soul into it. But prepare for, for the worst to happen. You know, I, I probably have one of the worst stories, I think, in terms of my friends, two broken legs and a and a loss of a parent at a very critical moment of potentially signing a first year pro, you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons on that time. But yeah, I would say probably about five years ago, maybe six years ago, that real, I'm in that captain's armband for the first time in my career, really put a, a really good standpoint of who I wanted to be as a, as a leader. Yeah, you know, that's... That's really, that's really good. I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that because I was assuming it was going to be the two broken legs and losing your father, because that's obviously major, but that the lessons you learned from that captain band, that, that responsibility, the, but also, you know, as it built up into that, um, I, I am curious, what is the, what is the term used when you lose the silkiness and you go and start moving back into the central midfield? What's that, what's that term called? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't think it's actually a word for me. It just being, I'm just, just being, yeah. I mean, my nickname's Rusty. So, 
maybe maybe it's just the fact that yeah he actually is he actually is rusty um yeah that was that was even when i was decent and silky but yeah i think i think a lot of people say yeah the legs have gone (laughs) (laughs) all right so now you are working as we talked we've alluded to this we've talked about it a little bit but you're working with ua92 you're the apprenticeships and boot camps operations director so there's a lot of words there. So what what does that what does that mean first of all? And then UA92 claims to be deliberately different. So what what is UA92? What you know, it's this it's cool that the class of 92 did it, but if it's just cuz the class of 92 does something doesn't make it <laughs> worthwhile as much as they played very well for many years. But what what is UA92? What does make it deliberately different and what are you doing for them? Yeah, what what a place to be, you know, I've I've Recently joined two months in, and every day is different. And it's just it's a it's a a breath of fresh air, really, because it's a university. So University Academy ninety two, yet founded by the class ninety two, but also co-founded by so co-founded by the class ninety two and, and co-founded by Lancaster University, one of the one of the best uh, universities here in 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 the UK. The motto being deliberately different. I love it. I, you know, I never heard that before, and it's. It's giving it's giving students the, the flexibility to understand that you can actually go to university and not have that traditional way of learning and have the burdens of different sort of you know criteria to get to. So you know we there's four different degrees to go down. There's IT, media, business, and uh, and sports. And obviously we we being linked with with Gary Neville and Class United too. Obviously there's links to Man United and Salford City, but it's not a football university academy it's not an academy it's associated to football it's a university they have an am and a pm timetable it's aimed at sort of you know disprivileged people or you know probably in sort of areas if you're a sing you know you're a single parent you know you've got children and you've got a part-time job in the evening and you, you know normal universities they have classrooms and and lessons just all over the place whereas what we do is very structured uh it's even the morning or it's the afternoon so it's 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 been flexible tapping into the social mobility aspect of what we do and making sure it's accessible to everybody in, in a nutshell really you know you, you you're not learning on your degree three different things at once you just you set on one module and you learn that until until you move on to the next one so you get in the full submerged in in-depth knowledge of that module of that aspect of your degree until you move on to the next one until you're feeling confident and, and ready to move on to the next one as well a big part of what I do there is, is completely brand new. So I'm building the whole entire strategy for apprenticeships and digital boot camps. So they now are a training provider for a DevOps level four uh, apprenticeship, which has a massive merge between sort of web development, operational sense, uh, cybersecurity, data, and, and cloud merged into it. And we have a really good tailored approach to working with customers. You tell us what we want and we'll tailor to, to your pain points and your skill gaps basically and i'm i'm basically going to to all the cool businesses out there so kpmg man united and, and looking to see how we can utilize recruitment roadmaps to bring on new people for them to hire or actually upskilling existing staff within within that organization and then on the in terms of the digital boot camps area we get we get funding from the government to Give people a chance to think, you know what, I fancy change. I, I know there's a massive talent shortage in IT, maybe in data, cloud, cybersecurity, or, or web development. So we actually do these free courses, either part-time or full-time, 
for them to go and learn data analytics for 10 weeks full-time, Monday to Friday, 12, 12 p.m. till 5 p.m. Or if it's, if it's too much and you want to go part-time for 16 weeks, it's three till six. And, and effectively, that talent pool is, is, is so unique. It's so diverse. We did an impact report most recently. Fantastic results in terms of the gender. We had 50-50 split on the gender, so the female and male on the course was, was phenomenal. And then the, the ethnical uh, diverse talent pool was 77 was Bain and 23 was white. Again, that area of social mobility and you know, the DNI initiatives were fantastic for our customers, for our clients. So we were helping them tap into that talent pool and you know, recruit these, these individuals for free. And effectively, what we wanted to do was just make it different make it deliberately different on purpose to, to recognize that, you know, you might think you're not able to go to university because it's going to cost you thousands of pounds. Most recently, Gary Neville did a scholarship for two, two young students and donated 60,000 pounds between them. So 30, 30K each. And you should have heard the stories behind these two students. What, one girl was a, well, she was a, a carer for a mom. You know, she just didn't have this kind of social life, you know, and she was just looking after mom all the time. And to, for her to now go and uh, get a degree and have everything in terms of the travel, the food, the, the, the books, the, the equipment just to be paid for and the degree to be paid for for the next three years was phenomenal. And then the young, the young man, wow, what a story he had. He, he was in the foster system. This guy had such a rough life. And you're just like, wow, it couldn't have, it couldn't happen to a nice, you know, a nicer two, two people. And, you know, it's, it's things like that in terms of my job. And the partnerships team is to go and work with these big companies who want to give bursaries and want to give funding for our scholarship initiatives to help people, you know, basically find the next generation of talent and students out there as well. Yeah. There's some great, great work on there, obviously. And obviously, like everything else in this show, we'll have a link in the show notes to, so people can find out more information about what UA92 is doing and just some I learned a lot right there too. Just I had a over like a 30,000 foot view of everything that maybe I thought was going on there, but man, what's, what's some amazing stuff, uh, that you guys are doing. And I'm sure like you said, a breath of fresh air, um, it kind of takes you on the other side of some of the things that are going on in the world outside of football and overlap a little bit with football. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Feel yeah, anything yeah. to add to that before we move on to the next thing? Nope. I think we're, we're good there. I think the last couple questions, you know, we, we always say on this show, you know, all good things must come to an end. You know, and again, I, I think that most good things need to come to an end. Some things maybe don't ever end. But in this instance, this does need to come to an end. And the last couple of questions we ask everybody. The first one is, how, how, do you, how do you use the lessons you learn directly from the game of football, as we call it in the UK, uh, in your personal relationships, in your, in your parenting with your, as you say, as with the missus, and uh, outside the game, right? What does that look like? What does that look like, you know, as far as those lessons you learn directly from the game of football? Yeah, there's, there's spinning plates all over, isn't there, uh, in terms of what, what, we're, what we're currently doing as, as parents, as coaches, as, as scouts. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I think assume, you know, the defining moment, like, like you mentioned earlier, was the, the two broken legs and the, and the passing of the father, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a guy that kind of believes in well it is what it is and everything happens for a reason. Um, I had to grow up quickly because I was a young dad, and I was you know my, my mom 
at the time was dealing with her own personal issues. She kind of sort of moved away, uh, met somebody new who's my stepdad, amazing guy, you know, couldn't, couldn't thank him enough to, for, for being the guy that he is. But I, I, I guess that defining moment of having that captain's armband, like I was saying to Paul earlier, was putting a lot into perspective. You know, I, I got, I, I, that being 19 was the, probably the start of my journey. Before that was, you know, it was childhood. It was, you know, there's a lot of experiences in there, but I had a very, I had a very good life. And I'm not saying that I didn't learn anything from that, but mine came quick in, in a sense that I had to grow up very quickly. And then I guess that built me into the person who can, you know, I have a lot of people that, that respect me and trust me because of the person that I am today. And generally because I generally believe that the final moment as a captain is I walk into a room, I want to be the captain of this team. I want to lead them to success. You know, I want to be the best person, the best version I can be, and then give that back to the people. And, you know, the, the walks of life now in terms of what football has helped me with, yeah, competitiveness, definitely. You know, it doesn't, but also having, having the resilience to understand that there's going to be challenges in life and you're not always going to get to where you need to be. But what, what, what can you do to fight through them sort of, challenges fight through them walls to, to give you the best chance possible and just just realizing that sometimes things aren't meant meant to be but let's have a look at a different pathway let's go somewhere else let's see if we can go down a different pathway to get to where you need to be and that's where i look at my life is when i was probably between sort of the age of 8 to 19 my pathway was straight there was no dipping out of any any of the angles and then all of a sudden pains in the age of 19 and my pathway just became all over the place but eventually I'm grateful for where I am. I've got two two fantastic boys. I've got a great partner. You know, my family are fantastic. And, you know, I'm in a job that I can actually look back and think that, you know, well, this really suits my my knowledge of my industry, you know, industry that I've been in in terms of IT recruitment and apprenticeships, but also it merges it with the world of football. We get Man United players, we get Salford players coming in to, to visit and do, you know, work on their plan Bs and their degrees. You know, but then, I guess it's the ability and the resilience to manage the scouting, the derriers, the coaching of, you know, let's say the, the dad's taxes, as we call it, you know, so helping my son move in the right direction, support my family from a financial aspect of, of, of life and always being there for my friends and my, and my colleagues as well. So when I sort of reference the spinning of the plates, you adapt to change. And I think change sometimes is a good thing. You just get good at being organized. And I would actually say the one thing I've learned more than anything else in life is being organized in a sense that I can get the maximum amount of efficiency out of the different lanes and channels that I'm in. I get good at spinning plates, basically. But I think the one, one thing I will, will say, Phil and Paul, is I, have a, I, I am mentally resilient, but I also know when to be selfish because you can't spread yourself too thin. You can't give yourself to everybody and you've got to know when to say stop or when to say no and actually think, you know what? I need some downtime. I need some me time. And that's what I think a lot of people get to a point where they, they just want to become yes people or pleasers. And you've got to remember, you've got to look after number one. You've got to look after yourself because if you look after yourself, then you can go and do the other things that makes other people happy as well. I don't think that's, that's not selfish at all. Actually, that's the one thing we talk about. We talk about that self care 
it's when to take care of yourself so that you can give to the others, right? It's it's actually selfish to not do that and to just <laughs> yeah. not be able to give yourself mm -hmm. to other people. Now, it's selfish if you always continually just worry about yourself and don't give it away. But I love that idea of that captaincy as far as, you know, we talk about this a lot on the show of leadership truly is cultivating that environment where other people can flourish, right? And so that idea, whether it's on a soccer team, whether it's in your home, whether it's in an organization, that absolutely is the case. And so what does that look like? And I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one thing I, I, I always looked at that picture. I think it was a picture of, um, someone being standard, like it's like Egyptian time. Someone stood on a on a massive block and there's, there's a, someone telling him what to do. And then the leader is actually at the front pulling the, pulling the, you know, the massive block of brick with them. And that stuck with me for a long time. And I always remember thinking everybody's different. And I learned this from managers. One manager would always relate to the lads with a soccer reference, but then wouldn't know how to adapt to, to, to the females in the team. And I always just thought, well, let's more, let's go on to more personal level. Let's go and meet them. Let's go and understand who they are. Let's understand a bit about the background. And then not only just that helps you understand who they are, they now get to understand who you are as a person and your, your management skills, your leadership skills become, you know, very, there's a big vask of skills in there. And then you just understand that person, how to get the best out of them. So that captain said that leading by example, always stuck with me for, for, from, from that, that time when I got yeah. given the captain's armband. Well, Dale, we've had some amazing stuff on this podcast today, and we've got one more question for you, but I just want to thank you for your time. And I know you've got to start up the dad taxi pretty soon uh, for the <laughs> evening as you are over there across the pond. But uh, one final question for you, Dan, as we kind of head our way out of here, but what have you watched, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how football explains lives and leadership? Oh, good question. Um, so there was, there was actually a, probably about a year ago, maybe, maybe a year or two ago, there was actually the insight to Crystal Palace. So Chris, I think they called it the boot room. I can't remember what it's called now, but it was so, it was really insightful and it basically gave you an inside sort of concepts of how academy players adapt to pot potentially getting contracts and getting released and, and, and seeing what other families were like with their, with their children. You know, there was, there was one kid who was had a bit of a bad injury. The, the club was sort of humming out rather to give him a two-year contract. The kid was like 11 years old. I come back from this injury and I, I, I honestly kid you not that the, the, the enthusiasm he had straight after school, bag on the floor, ran to the back garden, got the football out and just, just played football for hours and hours and hours. And the, the biggest thing, the biggest learning curve on that was, you know, how the, how different parents dealt with different situations, how different coaches dealt with the situation. And just having the level of knowledge of how to speak to people, the communication on, on, from a coach, from a, a head of recruitment to a family, to a player, became more apparent that they need continuous personal development within the coaches, within helping families deal with this sort of kind of news. And that's a lot where the sort of the EPA, you know, the driest elite player Africa kind of was born from personal reasons on that. We, you know, I lost a family member due to suicide. So there's a lot of personal reasons on that. And, and then doing the reading into all of the elite player aftercare, there was a young lad who played for Man City, took his own life because he got released. And then it was just 
I don't know if you've seen it on, on Amazon, you know, the, the insights to like Arsenal Football Club, Tottenham Hotspurs, you know, uh, you know, uh, all, all watching all of that, seeing actually how the elite players deal with it. Because for me, it's understanding what they're going through right now, what they're potentially learning, how the coaches deal with people. It just gives you that insight to how to potentially have the elite mindset of having to have to deal with the elite pressure that is out there. So for me, it's, it's actually get, getting the inside information from the elite teams. How, how are they doing it? So almost passing that information to, to other people, but not in snippets because people can't deal with that sort of elite mindset and that elite pressure. You've got to sort of kind of prepare them. You know, that's, that's the word I would say. We need to prepare the next generation to be as, as resilient as possible. Yeah, those uh, those documentaries are fantastic, and I I watched most of them. I, I still have to. I guess there's one on Newcastle. I got to check that one out. There's a few others that are that are coming out, and I'm a sucker for all of them. Uh, I've been watching the golf ones and the tennis ones, and there's the one on the Florida Gators football team with Urban Meyer. You were talking about militaristic approach to some of these teams. He definitely was that. So I strongly recommend not just watching the ones on you know global football, American soccer but all the other sports too, because there's so much to learn from in those things. So totally agree with that. But thank you so much, Dan. I know you need to get rolling, but these, this time goes so fast when we're doing these things. These are so much fun, but thank you so much. Appreciate you and uh, appreciate the growing friendship we have. Yeah, Phil, amazing. So I was so happy to be invited here. You know, definitely enjoyed it today. And, and, and me, yourself, Paul, fantastic person, human being. Yeah, thank, thank you for your time. Really looking forward to it. And this weekend, Back on the road, like we say, with a dad's taxi. So it's going to start in the next 15, 20 minutes. I wouldn't change it for the world. My son gets to do the yes. thing that he loves the most. So let's do it. Let's, let's help the next generation of talent get to where they need 100%. to be. 100%. 100%. And you know, you're a good judge of character too, because you realized in the, in the last hour that, that Paul is a great human being. So I uh, definitely <laughs> appreciate that. So folks, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank you for... Uh, the download, but also thank you for just, uh, again, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, you're thinking about these things. And if you're thinking about these things, you're using them in your life. And I just, I just, uh, do pray that you do use these things, not just listen and, you know, be on your way, but actually think about them, process, talk to other people about them, share this with other people. It's the best way to get this out there. It's the best way to get people thinking about these really important topics we're talking about on this show. So um, with, with, uh, all that we talk about on this show, you know, it's in the show notes. You can go check that out. How soccer explains leadership.com. If you want to check out warrior way and what Paul and Marcy are doing down there in Waco, you can do that. That's link is in the show notes, uh, coaching the bigger game We're we're still, we're not, it's, it's been on the shelf for a bit for various reasons, but we are going to be kicking that off in the next uh, few months. And if you want to do anything with uh, disc training or other leadership development stuff that I've been talking about on the show, you can reach out to me. My email is in the show notes as well. As always, folks, we hope that you're taking everything you're learning from this show and you are using it to be a better parent, a better spouse, a better friend, a better leader, a better coach, better in all that you do. And you continue to remind yourself that soccer does explain life and leadership. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple of weeks. Bye.